Rise and shine, my sinners. When Father Evil starts his day, he gets a little deadly. Deadly Grounds Coffee has the richest, smoothest flavor you'll find anywhere. It's sinfully delicious. Once you go deadly, you never go back. Order yours at getdeadly.com. Coffee's so good, it's scary. Hi, this is Rigor, host of Then Is Now Podcast, and welcome to episode five of the Cult Movie Lounge, where we discuss all cult films all the time. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, writer, and award-winning blogger, Robert Monell, of the I'm in a Just Franco State of Mind blog that he's been doing since 2006. How's it going, Robert? It's going very good, and glad to be back. We've had kind of a long uh, break on this, so we're going to be talking today about Just Franco cannibal films. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, I've got a couple other blogs I started up recently because of, of my job now. I write all the time. I can't stop writing. So I've got one on the films of John Saxon and another ambitious one where I'm basically going to review every horror movie from 1970 through 1979. And then my wife and I started up a travel blog, too. So <laughs> i got a lot going on here. It's a lot of blogging there. Yeah. I'm up at 3 a.m. every day. So anyway, today we are going to discuss the Jess Franco film, The Devil Hunter from 1980. And I just want to let people know, spoiler alert here, we might end up spoiling this movie. So if you haven't seen it, we recommend you see it first. And if you don't want it spoiled and then listen to our conversation. He couldn't care less about her. He'll pay, you can bet your life he'll pay. Why don't we send him a piece of her? That'll convince him to pay up. What do you think? <laughs> That's our island. A Vietnam veteran named Peter heads to an island inhabited by cannibals to save a kidnapped model, Laura Crawford, not only from her kidnappers, but also from the cannibals' lurking devil god. So it's a brief brief description, but um, when did you first see this, Robert? What was your first impression? Now, I first saw this film when I first started getting into Jess Franco. And this was during the video VHS era, okay? It was before, it was long before... DVD even existed, <laughs> okay? Yeah. And 
some of the older members, listeners might remember this. And uh, before, long before Blu-ray, long before, it, 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 at the beginning of the internet era, I started, I, I had like a, an, an early internet blog, okay? This was like in 1998, okay? 97, 98. And it's one of the first reviews I put on my blog because I saw the film at an old Blockbuster video store. Nice. That's where I bought it. Remember Blockbuster Video? I used to work there, yeah. You used to work there? Yeah. Great. Well, let's hear about that. Come on, Blockbuster Video. <laughs> Yay. Tell, tell us a quick Blockbuster Video story. Um, oh, I got a bunch of them. I'll, I'll tell you my best story from there was I, I one time I switched the tapes from Wizard of Oz and Wizard of Gore. And this guy comes in and he's like, yeah, I just rented this for my kids. But when I opened it up, I found Wizard of Gore inside it. <laughs> he's like, good thing I caught it before the kids watched it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. You used to work, and this was in the 1990s? Uh, 88 to like 90, somewhere around right. there. That's great. That's when I first started to get interested in Jess Franco and uh, probably the late 80s. I had heard about him, but it was hard to see his films before the video era, before they came out on right. videotape. Yeah. Know? I mean, when it, I imagine you probably saw your first one probably in the 80s, like myself, on a video, old video. Yeah, mom I and think pop so. video store. We used to call them mom and pop video stores. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, Blockbuster was a big franchise. That wasn't a mom and pop. Right. Okay? That was a big franchise. I used to go there all the time, and uh, then there was... A, little local ones which had a lot less availability and a lot less uh, variety of tapes to rent. Now, Devil Hunter was called Mandingo Manhunter, okay? And it was released by Wizard Video under that title. Right. And uh, But then it, then when you put the film on, on the video, it just said the main title was The Manhunter, okay? Well, they, didn't, they, they took the Mandingo out because there was already a film called Mandingo in the early 70s, I believe, or mid-70s, um, which was kind of like a, a race-racist-type race, film, okay? Hmm. But and they, and they thought it might offend people, that title, and the blockbuster was going for like more like the family films, okay? But um, in any case, it was called The Manhunter. That was the main title on the screen. And that was one of the first films I saw by Jess Franco outside of seeing... I caught a few of films on television in the early 70s, you know, like Saturday afternoon horror movies. You know, one, yeah. was, Count, one was Count Dracula with Christopher Lee. The other one was one of the Fu Manchu films he made, The Castle of Fu Manchu. Actually, I didn't even like them that much, okay? I thought, boy, these are <laughs> these films are not American <laughs> horror films. That, you know, I was, I was into, like, hammer horror films. And most European stuff I was into was from Britain, like Hammer Horror Films. Right. And they're, they're those type of films, you know? Yeah. And Jess Franco's films are very different, you know? They're very, they're a lot more low budget. They have really weird elements that even Hammer didn't get into, you know? And and he wasn't a cult director like he was now. You know? Nobody even knew about him back in the 19, early 1970s in the United States. So I didn't really get into him. Then I forgot about him for years. But then I started hearing his name, uh, you know, from VHS stores, people around say, hey, hey, you're into these films. you got to see this guy's Jess Franco films, you know. And I started reading about him in magazines. And so one of the first ones I, I got out of a blockbuster video was The Manhunter, Mandingo Manhunter. I didn't know anything about it except it looked like a cannibal film because from the back it 
told that story about you know the um, you know the guy who um, tries to rescue this actress who's kidnapped and taken to this island full of cannibals. Okay. Yep. And um, I said so I watched it and I, enjoy, I enjoyed it a lot. And I thought it was a lot more interesting than the other two I saw. And it, it, it had a lot of gore in it. Okay. I was really into gore films at that time. And uh, it was some of the gore was cut out of that version. Now it's out like on Blu-ray. Now we've both seen a newer Blu-ray version. I've seen the Severn version, which is on a, with another cannibal film. Okay, and uh, it's got two different cannibal films. One by Jess Franco, and you saw and you've seen the the eighty-eight version, the film eighty-eight version from the UK. Right. Those those are the full version, and they last like almost. An hour and forty-five minutes long. They're the longer version. They have all the gore. They have nudity that was cut out of the, you know, the uh, early American versions, which were yeah. cut down. Especially the ones that Blockbuster was cut down. But in any case, uh, so I saw it. I kind of liked it, but I thought, oh my God, this film is not the best-made film in the world. It had a lot. It looked like the whole film was out of focus, basically. Okay, because of the, it, it doesn't look that good on. On VHS, okay, you got to see it like you know. Nowadays they do anamorphic enhancement and they do like high definition versions, okay. So we have it high definition, so it looks a lot better now, okay. Yeah, because so, the '88 uh, films version that I watched was crystal clear. It was really good. Right, right. I've got, I've got actually some DVD versions which aren't crystal clear, but yeah, apparently now they've in the Severn one they did release looks very good too. It looks pretty sharp, okay. And uh, it's the sharpest you're going to see it. But back then, it did not look that way, okay? It looked like the whole thing was blurry and out of focus. <laughs> and it was, it was some films, some scenes were like washed out. But this was all VHS. You know, VHS is a totally different thing. And all the f films we're going to be talking about here are mostly going to be on DVD or, or Blu-ray. Now, other people talk about, like Quentin Tarantino has a, a podcast where they just talk about the old VHS versions. Okay? Yes, yeah. We'll do we'll do that sometimes too here, hopefully, you know. Yeah. But this this film, if you're going to see it, see it on Blu-ray. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Because there's some good there's some good versions out there. And so here's I'm going to just going to read parts of my review that I wrote. This was in 1998. I published this review. This is the first review I published on the internet. Okay. And it was called Dark Water. It was called this website was called Dark Waters. It was started by another guy. Okay. And who he was. He's not on the internet that much anymore, but it started by this other guy, and he had reviewed some films there. And I said, "Hey, I got a hold of him by email because that was even before I had like that was before like he had Facebook, you know, and yeah. you could get hold of people by." And I said, "I'd like to do some, you know, Jess Franco films on your website and some spy films, which I get into also Euro Spy." So um, he said, "Yeah, and this is one of the first ones I got published there." Okay, and so here's the review from certain. This is from Vintage 1998, and then I, I kind of added some stuff from my new from my blog, some new information about it. So it's called it's called it's called Devil Hunter is the title of the Blu-rays, just Devil Hunter, but it's also been known as Vandigo Manhunter, the Manhunter. Um, France World Entertainment released it on VHS, by the way. It was 92 minutes long, so that was the one. That was at Blockbuster to Transworld Entertainment, and the um, Wizard video I think was a little bit longer, a little bit gorier. And it says directed by Clifford Brown. 
That's yeah. the name Jess, Jess Franco uses all these all these <laughs> pseudonyms, and that's I think he's got like about twenty different pseudonyms. So that's one of them. Usually the Clifford Brown ones have more violence and gore in them. Okay, and then he uses other names where they have more like nude scenes and erotic scenes. He uses other names for them. And um, th- this one stars Al Cliver, uh, here Luigi Santis, an Italian actor who's in a lot of Italian cannibal films and horror films like. He plays the guy with the beard, blonde hair guy with the beard, and Lucio Fucci zombie. You know, yep. he gets his wife, you know, eats him at the end. You know, yeah. <laughs> Ursula, Ursula Buchwalner, German actress, plays the lead kidnapped actress in the film, and she's a German actress. Now, this was a German, French, Italian, Spanish co-production. Okay, right. <laughs> so, so the, they, I think the only way they they made this film by getting all these different countries to send actors and to, to invest in it, you know? So here's my review of it. <clears throat> Jess Franco's most notorious venture into cannibal cinema, while not as extreme as Umberto Lenzi's Cannibal Ferox or Rogero Diodato's Cannibal Holocaust, registers as a definite gross-out, deliberately so, as well as a ripe example of the director's cynicism. Now, we're going to be covering Umberto Lenzi's Cannibal Ferox and Diodato's Cannibal Holocaust in a future show. Yeah. So hopefully the next one. Now, those are much more well-known than this one is, okay? And it did Franco, Franco did uh, White Cannibal Queen the same year, right? 1980, right. as he did this yeah. one? Yeah, yeah. I was going to talk about that. I think he was. I think that was made. Al Cliver, this Italian actor, also stars in that one. Yes. But it's got a different female lead, Sabrina Siani, in it. And most of the supporting cast is, is Italian. So that was mostly like an Italian uh, French co production, I think. Oh, okay. They didn't have they, they didn't have any Germans in that from what I think. But this one has more German actors in the background, okay? Right. And um I'm gonna talk about that one too as we go on here. Um so yeah, it's it's the first impression I had was from it was it was really, really gory, okay. This was before I had even seen some of the Gory Lucio Fulci films on, on that they weren't even out on tape. That like I, I don't think I had yet seen Zombie or The Beyond or some of those gory films that you made, which really have people's guts getting torn out and things like that. You know, right. and, and Lucio Fulci was really the kind of the master of that. His his are really well done. The, 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 this Franco film is a lot lower budget, and the special effects and gore effects aren't as sophisticated as that. Okay. And so I went on to say the plot is lurid and unimaginative. A sexy starlet is kidnapped by ruthless criminals in a European city and whisked away to a tropical island. On the island, the kidnappers torture and molest a terrified woman until help arrives. This takes the form of a hero type, Peter Weston, Al Cliver, and his Vietnam vet sidekick. He's played by Antonio Mayans, who is uh, one of Jess Franco's he he acted in about seventy or eighty Jess Franco films, believe it or not, in the nineteen eighties. Lots of films. He's a really good Spanish actor. I know him personally. Talked to him, interviewed him on the internet, and um, a really nice guy. He's credited as Robert Foster in some of his films, or Robert Forster, okay, which is also confusingly the name of an a- American actor, right? <laughs> so um, who I think passed away a few years ago. But in any case. The starlet manages to escape before the heroes arrive. She runs straight into the arms into the arms of a local native tribe who are intent on sacrificing her to their living god. 
Weston puts an end to the cannibal, a blo uh, cannibal's bloody rampage by pushing him off a cliff at the end. He sails into the sunset with a topless starlet. And sorry, that's a that's going to be a spoiler, but that's what that's pretty much the plot of the film. Okay, right? You know that that's what happens. Okay, I don't. And I don't think people are watching this film for the plot. No, they're not. They're not watching. That's what's good about Just Franco. He doesn't. He doesn't give you a lot of plot. Okay, he doesn't give you any plot sometimes. Yeah, but he's visually very interesting. The the eroticism there, the sex is there, nudity, gore in this one. He gives you a lot for your money. Okay, but don't expect a heavy plot. Okay. Yeah. I, I found this movie to be uh, slightly more disturbing than Cannibal Holocaust. I've seen Cannibal Holocaust several times. Don't get me wrong, that disturbs me, but I, there was just something about this. There was a creepy element to it, especially with the demon bad guy there with his weird eyes. Yeah. I was just like disturbed and unsettled through the whole thing, you know? Well, that's good. That, that's good. I think that's what you want to be in these cannibal yeah. films. Right, because right, the Cannibal Holocaust is just gore, okay? They're, 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 they're killing, actually, and, and that one, which I don't want, that one in um, Cannibal Ferox, during the making of the film, they actually kill live animals. Right, okay? right. I, I don't like to see animals killed, okay? Yeah. Even for making, for making a film, they really did kill the animals, okay? And, in fact, we, one of the actors who passed away a few, just recently, who was in Cannibal Ferox, told how that film was made on, this, on the commentary track. He was really upset the director was having animals cut apart and things like that were actually living animals, you know what I mean? And yeah. I just don't like to see that, you know? And, and there's none of that in this film. There's no animals actually killed in this film, okay? Which is good, okay? I don't, I don't like to see that. Right. And, so, and, and they got the, the villain, as you say. He's not really a villain. He's this seven-foot tall. He's, he's a gymnast, a Portuguese gymnast, who Franco Hart, a 70, about a seven-foot-tall black actor, He's very sinister. He's, he's his eyes are like bulging out. I think they, I think they put like tennis, not tennis balls, but ping, ping pong, pong balls. balls. Yeah, ping pong balls in his eyes. Yeah, and he's he's um. There's one scene where he's got blood all over his face after killing a woman, and her blood pours out of one of her veins. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he's he's really a creepy character, and the music is very creepy. It's this creepy type organ music and synthesized organ music, and um, he's he's like. He's, he's like completely naked, and he's attacking people and tearing them apart, you know, ripping them apart, women who are tied to trees for sacrifices. So there's a lot of sacrificial type of horror where he goes, he tears them apart and kills them. But they're nude, he's nude, so there's a lot of nudity in it also. Oh, yeah. And uh, um, there's several, you know, the, the actress who they kidnap, the kidnappers actually kind of rape her, okay? They have like this kind of gang rape scene, which is, very, very disturbing, okay? Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of heavy stuff in here. you got to be ready for it. So I want to tell viewers that. And there's a lot of nudity, a lot of sexual violence, a lot of violence, a lot of a lot of gores. It's, I would put it like as a 9 out of, out of 10 on the gore scale. Oh, easily. I mean, you know, there's one scene where he, like the cannibal, hits this woman with a head on the rock in the forehead, and you see this big gash of blood on her forehead. Then all this blood squirts out. In the cannibal's face, okay, yeah, <laughs> and uh, and then he's walking around for the next few scenes with blood dripping from his face, okay. So it's really super gore. Well, one thing I like too about the gore is that um, 
because of the time, uh, the time period in which this was made and their budget, the you know the the effects aren't super realistic. Like they, you can kind of tell, but I yes. think that works because it it's the same reason that George Romero used the paint colored blood in yes. Dawn of the Dead is it, it lessens the blow when you're watching it. You know, right, right. It's kind of like a comic book or a kind of car. It's kind of like you're watching a live action cartoon or a comic book type of gore. Okay, right. It's like, it's like, you know, the old EC comics, which had a lot of gore in them. You realize it's not real. It's a fantasy type of gore, okay? Yeah. And Romero, and Romero does do that. The, the kind of gore he used in his films is very similar to the kind of gore Franco used in this, I think. It's, very, it's not really realistic, but you can watch it and not get really grossed out. You don't get, it's not like, you know, you don't, like in the Italian cannibal films, they kill animals. The gore looks real, okay? Right. It almost, it almost makes you nauseous. This one doesn't. This one's not like that. The gory, it's at a distance because, as you said, comparing it to Romero, it the, the blood is like super bright and it doesn't look like real blood. Real blood looks more like kind of blackish almost. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it looks red, but if after it dries, it looks black. Okay, almost. You know, and so it's, it's, you, you realize it's not real blood. Okay. Yeah, and I, I think that's like I said, that's a plus because if it was ultra realistic, I I probably w- it would have taken me a week to watch it because I'd have to watch it in like ten minute increments. <laughs> right, right. It's not like that. But the Italian cannibal films we're going to discuss are like that, and they're very hard to watch. And and no, they. And I mean, I've been. I, I remember watching one of them. I think it was the um, Cannibal Ferox, which was called "Make Them Die Slowly" when it appeared on video here. Here back yep. in the eighties, yep. you probably remember seeing that in a video store. Make them die slowly. I I saw that. A friend of mine and I rented that and like Cannibal Holocaust back in the eighties on VHS. Right, and those are really both those films. I think when I first saw them, made me kind of nauseous. Yeah, it's not, it's, it's, it's not like you want to be eating a sandwich while you're watching. Right, like that, you know, you might upchuck it. You know, and um, sorry we're being so gross here, but that's the way these films are. You know, and uh, some of these films, but this is not like. Okay. Now, the jungle scenes in this were filmed in Portugal, okay? And, um, yeah, like, White Candle Queen takes place in the Amazon, but this film seems to be taking place, like, in um, maybe southern Spain or maybe, you know, islands off the coast of Africa, like the Canary Islands or something. But the jungle scenes were filmed in Portugal, Portugal, and the film is very atmospheric, too. You get the sense of, like, heat, that it's real hot out, you know, and there's buckets of sleaze in it, so it's really, I think, quite effective atmospherically. Okay, and, yeah. Uh, I, I don't think Franco really g- gave a damn here about the other cannibal films. He just went ahead and made his own cannibal films. Okay, yeah. Because it's, it's not like those other films we're talking about. I, I think, I, I think, you know, I don't even think he cared that much about his audience or the cannibal fans or anything like that. I just think he wanted to make his own film and. It's definitely a Jess Franco film. I mean, yeah. You've seen some of them by now. And if, you, if you're into Jess Franco, you're going to find this kind of an interesting, uh, uh, an interesting Jess Franco film, okay? Because his vision is different than these other directors, you know? He wasn't interested in killing animals. There's no, like, message at the end, like, you know, like, or anything like that. It's, it's just kind of like a crime film, which turns into a cannibal film. And... Um, and I did like to, it's got, like you said, a very kind of disturbing atmosphere of heat, humidity, and this guy running around, this kind of monster type guy running around eating people alive, you know? And right. It's very, it's very, it's, it's, it's well done in that, 
The atmosphere is more important, I think, than the plot, okay? And once again, Franklin's films usually have a very interesting uh, ultra atmosphere about them, and this one certainly does. And um, it's it's got a lot of nice little touches in it, too. Like, one of the... Like, first of all, I, I think when you read about it online, they make you think that the natives themselves are the cannibals, and they're not. As far as I could tell, it was just no. the demon guy right. that was eating people. Yeah. But he yeah. was somehow, the, um, like, the chick in, uh, what was her character? Uh, Claude Boisson, she played ca the cannibal chief. She was, like, mentally connected to this thing. So when it was doing stuff, she could sense what it was doing. I thought that was a cool little touch. Right, right, yeah, yeah, exactly, the... The, the female, she's kind of like a female witch doctor almost, okay? Yeah. And she's, and she's like, um, she's like pretty much nude, <laughs> nude through the whole film, you know? Know what I mean? But she's in psychic contact with a cannibal who's also nude, okay? Yeah. When a cannibal, when a cannibal attack comes, she um, knows it's coming. She knows what's going on. Yeah, that's very interesting. And she's in some of Franco's other cannibal films, okay? Which is, there's another cannibal film he made called... Um, uh, the Call of the Blonde Goddess or Diamonds of Kilimanjaro. Oh, yes. It, okay. It, it, that used to be on Tubi. If you can find it on Tubi, watch that one. Because that's also dealing with a cannibal tribe. And uh, in this, uh, it's, it's dealing with a black cannibal tribe and a, a, a convoy of white people kind of get attacked by it, okay? And they're killed by the, they're killed by the local natives. But the thing is, they deserve to be killed by the local natives because they're out to rip the tribe's gold off, okay? And they want, right. they're, 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 they're killing the local natives, and they just want to rip them off. So you almost feel like that there's something worse than cannibalism, which is like the people who want to go in there and, um, and kill these people, okay, just for their gold, okay? So that, in a way, is as bad as what the cannibal guy is doing in this film. He's just being himself. You don't know what... If you, you have a, it's almost like the exorcist. You have the feeling... He's not responsible. He kind of maybe he's possessed by some kind of evil, and that's why he's kind of a cannibal, you know. Yeah. And it doesn't say it doesn't say that, but you get the feeling there's something um, occult about his cannibalism. He's kind of cursed in a sense, and he doesn't have any dialogue, um, and uh, so that is very disturbing, very effective. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, and they have and, like a totem pole that kind of resembles him with the giant eyes and yes, stuff that sort yeah, of represents yes. him. Right, and then when he dies at the end, the totem pole is taken down, and the in the in the in the girl, the 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 black woman, the witch doctoress, she dies too at the same time. The cannibal dies. Okay? Right, right. She she falls down dead. Yeah. And uh, the reason, another thing I said, I think the reason the Franco made this film is because all these cannibal films were coming out. Okay, you know, like cannibal. These other ones we mentioned, like Cannibal Holocaust came out in 1979, a year before that, and they were making a lot of money at the box office. So I think the producer said, listen, and I said, here, jump on the cannibal bandwagon here, pull them into the theaters, rip them off. This, these films are making money. <laughs> and George Romero's Dawn of the Dead, and that came out in the late 70s. Yeah. And even though it's zombies, the zombies are eating people, okay? Right. They're not, in the Romero film, they're not only zombies. I think what's really disturbing is they're, they're eating people alive, okay? Right. <laughs> they rip people's guts up, they eat you alive, okay? So so that's what's different about Romero's zombie film. They're not just zombies, they're cannibal zombies. Even going back to Night of the Living Dead, and, um, you know, they're... And that's what makes them unique. And I think, I think Franco took more of the Romero model than 
uh, you know, he didn't he didn't want to make just a zombie film. Right. He, right. he really wasn't known for. He wanted to make a cannibal film, which was had kind of a contrast with what was going on with the kidnappers, what was going on with the, the natives. Right. And there's kind of a nice little twist, and this doesn't really spoil anything, but when, when Peter's hired to rescue the model, Laura, um, the guy telling him, he's like, all right, here's the bag full of, what was it, like $11 million or something. And right. he's like, but if you can, get her home and bring the money back too. You know, right. <laughs> I thought that was right. cool. Right. So they, so they use fake money instead of the real money to give to the kidnappers thinking they're going to get away with it. And the kid- and that causes one of the that causes his friend to get killed. You know what I mean? Yeah. It causes them to get shot, and their helicopter crashes, and they and they're stuck on the island. Then the rescuers, because they try to give the kidnappers fake money. Right, right. <laughs> because, they, because they know the the producer who hired them, he wants his actress back. You know, said, "Hey, you bring the money back, you keep the money." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay. he, he offered him ten percent because he had two bags, right. one with the fake money and one with the real money. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. So has you know so the, the, that's an interesting scene and uh, yeah um, and I think the guy who plays that I think I think was actually a producer and an actor who just frankly knew so he had him play this kind of um, you know uh, you know kind of tricky producer type you know what I mean oh, okay yeah 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 now and, I have a question I read online that Lena Romay was credited with co-directing this film and Franco's first wife Nicole Guitard edited it is this correct right right well. No, if you, if you look at the end of the film, it says it says assistant director uh, Rosa Maria Almoral. That's that's Lena Romay's real name. So she was the assistant director. Oh, okay. And his real his first wife Nicole Guettard, is um, I think she she's um, I think she was like she she worked on the editing and also she worked on some of his films, other films as the script supervisor. You know, the script girl. You know. Right. Okay. So she worked on a lot of his films, okay? And she, she died like in the 1980s, early 90s. She died of uh, Alzheimer's disease, okay? And um, th- that's after that, he got married to Lena Romay, but he didn't get married while she was still around. But she died at her 40s, okay, her 50s of Alzheimer's disease. Right. In any case, she worked on editing, and she worked, I think she did some editing work on this, and, um, and I think she was also a script supervisor. And um, she worked. She stayed with him even after they were divorced by this time. But he, she stayed with him because she was, you know, she worked with him and she, you know, liked working for him. You know, they right, were still right. friends. They were still friends. They just didn't want to be married any longer. And he was going out with Lena Romay at the time. But Lena Romay was the assistant director of the film, and uh, she was assistant director on a lot of his films. She would help, you know, like and she wasn't in this film, so she would help tell the actors what to do or say, you know, like you know, order some coffee for everybody or stuff like that, or, or, you know, get this camera over there, you know, before shooting. And she, she you know, her, her, she would call, like, you know, like, action sometimes when Jess was too busy. So, yeah, she was, so they really worked together as a team, you know. And, hmm. uh, and you were Cine, um, the French Cardinal co-production team was, had a lot of people on who Frank had known for years and had, they they had produced a lot of his early films, and um, and this one okay, this, and this, this was their this was one of the last Cannibal films that he actually had made. He made the White Cannibal Queen before this or back to back. Then he made after this he made this uh, a Call of the Blonde Goddess or uh, which is it's also called uh, 
you know, Diamonds of Kilimanjaro. Right. Then his right. last, last, his last cannibal film was made like in the 90s, I think 1998, it was called Tender Flesh, okay, which was partially shot on video, believe it or not, hmm. and it's it kind of like a remake of his first cannibal film, which I wanted to talk about now, called uh, Countess Perverse or the Perverse Countess, and a uh, very interesting film made in the early 70s, made in 73, okay, and it was made in Spain, and it was about it was based on the story of the most dangerous game, okay, right, and uh, which was also made into a Hollywood film in the early 1930s yep. by the same by the same director who made King Kong, believe it or not, okay, and it's a pretty good film actually, the, yeah, the old Hollywood. Film. I think it was made 32 or 33. I think so. I yeah, to, uh, Joel McRae is in it. Yep. it's a really it's a really good film made by the same made on some of the same locations as King Kong. Okay, and uh, so uh, it was very good. I read. I remember reading the short story. I had to read in high school. It's a very good story about this really wealthy guy who owns an island and hunts people get stranded on the island. But then he says, "Okay, you, you, I'll give you you know two hours start. I'm going to hunt you down." <laughs> okay. Yeah. So it's about this crazy wealthy person owns an island. He's a crazed hunter. He's an expert hunter, and he likes hunting down human prey. In the early Hollywood film, he did that. In this film, Howard Vernon plays the guy who runs the island. And him and his wife, played by Alan Sarno, another Just Franco actor, hunt down people on this island off the coast of Spain, okay, where it was filmed. And uh, Lena Romay's in that one, and she comes to the island to find her sister, who was kind of visited the island and turned up missing. And so she's, like, hunted down at the end of the film, or... They capture her and put her in a cage, and they hunt her at the end of the film. So it's the same story as, the, as the, that old film and that old short story, but they're cannibals, okay? The, the, the guy hunting them down, they Howard Vernon and his wife are cannibals. What they do is after they kill, after they, they, they always get their prey, and after they hunt them down and kill them, they cook them and eat them, <laughs> okay? So it's a cannibal version of the most dangerous game. And what is okay. the name of it? It's called uh, the Countess Perverse or the Perverse Countess. Okay. Now it was, it was released on it was released as a Perverse Countess on um, I think on foreign videotape, but the, the the American British DVD company released it under the title Countess Perverse. Okay, for some reason, and but it's the Perverse Countess, and uh, there's three different versions of it on the Blu-ray. I highly recommend it. Anyone who wanted to see this film to get there, it's called the Just Franco Triple Bill. There's two different short versions, and um, no, no, there's a short version, and then there's a long version, which like lasts about like 20 minutes longer, which has additional nudity and uh, even triple triple X-rated scenes besides the cannibal films. Okay? Wow. And then the third film on the set is another film, which is about um, this couple who kidnaps women. It turns them into like mannequins, okay? And that's called uh, uh, how to how to seduce a version, okay? Um, but it's also called Pleasure for Three. That's another title it's known by, okay? But it's a triple Franco film, the triple Franco bill. You can get it on Blu-ray, and, and it's um, you know you can get it on Blu-ray from this company, Mondo Macabro, and I would highly recommend it. And it's it deal, it's got these. It, it was Franco's first cannibal film and he, there's two different versions of it on this blu-ray 
very good. It doesn't have a lot of gore in it. You just see them eating steaks, and the steaks they're eating are supposed to be like human flesh, okay? So you don't see them tearing people apart. Although there's one scene where you see like parts of people like in this kind of uh, this kind of huge fireplace, arms and legs and stuff, but but you don't see any gore, okay? Once again, this is kind of almost comic strip fantasy gore, okay? It's not really heavy gore, so it's it's not really realistic, and it's uh, very interesting. That was his first animal film, and so this would be like his. Uh, Second or third, you know, along with White Cannibal Queen. And these were a lot, this one and White Cannibal Queen are a lot more explicit. There is a lot of blood and gore in them. Right, right. Although still unrealistic. And there's, and there's a lot of nudity in this one. That film has a lot of nudity too in the, you know, the Countess Perverse, perverse Countess. But Franco um, added, the, the producer of the film asked Franco for a triple X version, so there's a lot of hardcore scenes besides the cannibal scenes, which are distributed on the French hardcore movie circuit, because in France, back in the 70s, they had, this, they had this circuit of theaters owned by the producer, Robert Donnell, really wealthy producer, who just played films she produced in it, you know, X-rated films she produced. So he had, he hired, for, Franco made a lot of films for them, but he had to have a triple X-rated version, because some of the theaters just triple X-rated theaters in France, and some theaters were just X-rated, okay? It was like in the United States where triple X really didn't become popular here until like Deep Throat, you know? Right, right. 1972, which I actually, I actually saw that in 1972. I was like 21 years old, but um, kind of dates me. But that was the first triple X-rated film I had ever seen. Oh, wow. You know? I saw it in a movie theater in 1972 or 73, locally, and... You know, there were couples there. there. It was like considered to be like a, an in-film to see. And so triple X-rated films were shown in movie theaters back in the United, in the United States back in the 70s, and just like in France. And that's where Franco kind of started out in his early career. He started making films for these X-rated circuits. As he later went on, he made films in Spain and other countries, you know, who showed X and triple X-rated films. Right. Okay. Before this, he made... In the 1960s, he made just like horror films like The Awful Dr. Orloff and uh, The Diabolical Dr. Z, which are just kind of like black and white kind of horror films about mad scientists and things like that, okay? But he got right. involved, in, he got he became like a cult director, got involved in these much more explicit type of films, which I write about on my blog and we talk about here. But yeah, he's made, he made several cannibal films, and they're, they're all mostly available now on Blu-ray. Um, you can get them if you look for them. And uh, the, the, this one is, is, I think I would recommend, I would, re I would highly recommend the one I mentioned before, the, the Frank, Jess Franco Triple Bill, the Mondo Macabro, the, the Perverse Countess, and um, the Tender Flesh one, which is kind of like a remake, 1990s remake of, uh, of the Perverse Countess. I would recommend that one. You, you can find that if you look on Amazon, I believe. You can buy that through Amazon. So... Nice. Um, so that's kind of like his Franco uh, uh, cannibal uh, portfolio, you know. <laughs> and uh, you got to remember, this one is um, once again is doesn't have the, the special effects like you would see nowadays. More in a, it's, it's more in a line of like you said, Romero's kind of like gore films, where you kind of know it's gore and you know they're not eating human flesh, but you know it's still pretty gory. And they don't kill any animals. The gore scenes, close-ups are. Um, 
in this film, oddly enough, they're kind of, when you do see them, you see like they're running close up and they're kind of sometimes a different camera angles he uses or something like that. So they really kind of stand out, you know? Yeah. And uh, Wizard Video reportedly um, released one with the, 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 gore, the gore sequence almost looked like inserts, okay? So and back in those days, if they couldn't be released, they would sometimes just cut out the gore scenes because the video company didn't want the gore scenes in there. Right. I think the one that was shown on the blockbuster circuit had gore kind of like maybe cut, toned down or cut out because, once again, the blockbuster circuit was kind of like, they had a lot of family films in there and, like, you know, families would go in there, they'd bring kids in there to, you know, look for videos. So they, they didn't have, like, the more explicit versions at the blockbuster video stores of any type of film. You know, you wouldn't find stuff you'd sometimes find at the sleazier mom-and-pop video stores. Right, right. <laughs> Yeah, my buddy and I, his his older sister was like over 18 and she would always let us rent all these terrible, horrible films. <laughs> but you, you worked at Blockbuster. I think people would be interested. They didn't, they didn't have X-rated films there from what I remember, right? They did not, no. But like okay. personally, when I worked there, like you could order from the catalog and you'd get a discount. And I ordered the VHS tape of um, Faces of Death. Oh, which, you did? Okay. And the manager was shocked. She was like, I almost put a cancel on it until I saw that it was you. But then I ended up giving that movie away years later because that that's like even too disturbing for me. <laughs> and I love gore right. films, but that was just real. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 you know, I started to watch that one, Face to Death, and I had to turn it off. Yeah, I said this is too. That's too disturbing. Okay, I don't want to. I don't want to see real animals hurt. I don't want to see real people being injured or people being, you know, people being electrocuted or people getting the death penalty. You know, right. I don't want to see it. I don't want to see that. I don't. You know, it's a, to me, film is like a entertainment it's a fantasy it's an art form definitely an art form but some things i don't want to see you know <laughs> right right I, I, some things do go too far you know now and, i have uh, a question about in devil hunter and the opening credits it said that jess franco and someone named dan white did the music but when i looked it up i could only find jess franco and i couldn't find anything on a guy named dan white that was really yeah, 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 daniel white um did a lot of franco scores throughout the year. He started doing music for Jess Franco films way back in the 1960s, the early 1960s, okay? And then he stayed with Jess Franco in the 70s, not so much, because he was, they, were do, they were putting other composers on his films, for his other producers. But then in the 1980s, he did start doing Franco scores, okay? And um, this one was scored by... Jess Franco also uses this, this other name called... Uh, and sometimes Daniel White called Pablo Villa, okay? Pablo Villa, which is um, which is like a pseudonym for Daniel White and Jess Franco, okay? Hmm. So, uh, you know, it's, it's not... Both Franco and him... Franco was a, a film composer. He composed scores early in his career for other people's films back in the 1950s in his own films. And when he composed, when he, when he composed films, he sometimes used this other name called Pablo Villa, okay? Now, Mondo Cannibale, the uh, music for that was done by Robert Progadillo. Uh, that was for the first 80s cannibal film, who was an Italian composer. And uh, for this one, the music was done by... Uh, we had the, the music was done by Jess Franco. It says, music 
Uh, I'm just looking at my Just Franco book. I got this old Just Franco book. Music by Just Franco and Pablo Villa. And that says Pablo Villa equals Daniel J. White. So what you see on this film, I believe, you'll see on the credits, if you have the same version I do, it'll say Pablo Villa and Just Franco did the music. But Pablo Villa is actually means Daniel White was involved in the scoring. So Daniel White, Dan White, who died like in the 1990s, a long time ago, 30 years ago, he yeah he, he contributed to the score of this under that name, Pablo Villa. Yeah, because on the credits of the one that I watched, it just said Jess Franco and Dan White. Oh, just say Jess Franco and Dan White. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, on the version, I've got, like, I've got like, about eight different versions of this film. I've, I've got them on videotape. I've got this. Um, I've got several on different uh, DVDs and on Blu-ray. The, the ver one of the several of the versions I have say music by Jess Franco and Pablo Villa. Okay. Daniel Daniel White's name's not even on it. But in the, in the version you've got, which is a different version I have, Daniel White's name's on it. Yep. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, because you see, they it varies from film to film, um, from from release to release. Um, from theatrical release to theatrical release, to video, to VHS, to Blu-ray, to DVD. You're gonna, and just Frank, you're going to see all types of different credits. Right. But I, but I, but I think that Franco did some of the music, and um, and I think Daniel White did some of like the, the the more like native music, you know, like it's you know like the um, drumming music, drumming type. Because I've seen several of his other scores. Franco, Franco did a number of jungle films, which is a similar type of music. And there's other music, like organ music, which sounds like synth-type, synthesizer-type music, which I think Franco did. Franco had a synthesizer, um, which he would use and he would use for some of his 1980s films. You can usually tell it's the same type of music. It sounds like kind of a, you know, a kind of Hammond organ on a synthesizer. Yeah, yeah. Because I watch everything with subtitles lately, and um, that's what it was saying. It was like creepy electronic music playing. You know? <laughs> yeah, and that's what it sounds. It's creepy electronic music, right? Yeah. And that's if it's, if it sounds like electronic music, kind of like organ, creepy organ type electronic music. It's usually just Franco on a synthesizer. He he had his own synthesizer, <clears throat> which he had. That was part of his filmmaking. He had like a sound studio, which. But he would use his own, he'd bring his own synthesizer. I don't think it was like a, it was probably just like a, you know, an old synthesizer, maybe the size of like a, what a, like a, you know, like a, like a 1990s computer would be, you know what I mean? Right, right. You know what I mean? That, that type of thing. Yeah. So it, it wasn't a big, now, nowadays a synthesizer could be the size of like a laptop, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So back in those, so I'm trying to, th so he was probably using a, you know, medium-sized synthesizer for that. Yeah. And, and the music is very effective for the atmosphere. I mean, it's, it, it sounds like jungle music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, so, it sounds like you're in a jungle being chased by, you know, uh, natives and by, you know, all kinds of weird people and, uh, you know, criminals. And, you know, you don't know if you're going to live or die the next day. Or... Yeah. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very effective film score. And if you ever see pa Pablo Villa, Pablo Villa's name on a a score means it was composed by either Daniel White or Jess Franco or both of them. Right, right. Okay, that makes sense. Now, it's funny, um, the other day, Rod Barnett and I did a, um, a show about Paul Nashie and a bunch of his werewolf movies, which isn't going to come out till October. But I'm curious now to know, because him and, and Jess Franco were contemporaries, did they ever meet? Did they know each other? No, I don't think they did. 
they, they were plan late late in Jess Franco's career. He was, I think, in the around after this film, back in the after about the late nineties. Jess Franco started making a series of films all on they're all shot on video. Okay, and some of them looked pretty good for being shot on video. He was planning to make a, a video, a, a, you know, a shot on video version of his first horror film. Dr. Orloff, the awful Dr. Orloff. Right. And he wanted Paul Nashie to play the lead role, okay? So he was he had cast Paul Nashie in the film, and Paul Nashie, I think, agreed, but they never could get the money together to make it for some reason. Huh. Well, that's too bad. So he had he had planned to make a film with Paul Nashie, and, and I think early in his career they didn't get along because they were kind of, kind of competitors. And so, because um, Nashie had said early in his career that he didn't like Franco's films, they were too... They were too they were too sexually explicit. He didn't like to get into as much as Franco did. And um, but later in their careers, when they were, you know, when they were getting older, they kind of mellowed out. And they they had planned to make this film, and he had Paul Nash. He had agreed. It would have been very interesting, but it never worked out. Hmm, well, that's too bad. Um, it was just it was supposed to be the awful Doctor Orla because his just Franco's first major film uh, had in the United States at least was. The awful Dr. Orloff, which was premiered here in the early 60s, and right. it was kind of a mad doctor's film, and that's what kind of put him on the map. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one thing I just wanted to mention about the Blu-ray version that I watched, too, there was a moment of, and I forget what the scene was, about an hour and 13 into it, where all of a sudden the English dub and the subtitles, because I watched it with both, um, they just went away. And it was just in Spanish, just for one quick scene. I was like, okay. what the heck's going on here? <laughs> let, let, let me, I haven't seen this version you've seen. My version has, like, the Spanish language track on it, and it has the the the, the English soundtrack of it, okay? But uh, there's no subtitles on the Spanish language track, okay? And uh, so you can't really watch it with subtitles. What, what version did you watch? Did you watch which version? What language tracks do they have on your version? Do they have um, the Spanish track and the English track, or just the English track? I, th I, I no, it was it was definitely both Spanish and English, and then English subtitles. Uh, so I watched the English track with the English subtitles. You watched the English track with the English subtitles. Yeah. Does it have the Spanish language track on that? Version? I believe there was, yeah, but I didn't. As, I didn't as, watch as, it. A, as a special feature, okay. Um, actually, I want to kind of get that version because the special features on this one is it actually says French language track, but it's actually the Spanish language track. Okay, hmm. and, uh, and so um, but they don't have they, they only have they only have on screen subtitles for the English language version. But I, believe it or not, I actually like I, I like to have on screen subtitles for the English language version because sometimes you can't understand what the actor is saying. Right. You know, if they don't read the line right or if the sound ambient sound is too high or it's too it's too noisy. I, I like to see all the dialogue on screen. Yeah. So yeah. I I always put the English language subtitles on even when I'm watching the English language version. Oh, I do that. Yeah. I, everything I watch now, I put the subtitles on. Just, yeah, there's it's, always that moment where you go, "Wait, what did he just say?" You know. What did he just say? <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Because you know, some some actors you know have different ways of reading a line, and if they say it too fast or if they Say it too low, or they whisper it, or um, right, shut, right. They sh sh or if they shout it and scream it, um, you can't understand what you got to play it back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think we should start wrapping things up here. Um, Robert, do you want to give us your final thoughts on uh, the Devil Hunter from 1980? 
Well, I would say this isn't, it's not just Franco's worst film, or it's not his worst, it's, it's not just Franco's worst cannibal film, okay? The one I don't like as much, and I think it's probably his worst cannibal film, is uh, The White Cannibal Queen, okay? Because it's kind of, it's very corny, I thought, in a sense. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of like, you know, um, you know, the cannibal queen and the natives, and, uh, you know, and she's like, um, the, the guy finds out he's a, she's his daughter, and it kind of has this very kind of, you know, cliche happy ending. And I, I like to just Franco films without the, the, that kind of, that, that, that kind of, you know, forced happy ending. This has kind of a, a happy ending too, but it's it's more disturbing and more interesting. So that's that's probably his word. I wouldn't recommend that film. It's just called Cannibals. I, I think that's on Tubi. If you want to see it, see it. That's not my favorite of his cannibal films. Probably his worst one. Um, I would say this is probably, uh, along with um, Countess Perverse, or Perverse Countess, it's one of his better cannibal films. I would that one is definitely worth seeing, and I would definitely order um, Mondo Macabro's uh, version of that, and uh, you know triple, um, you know Gus Franco triple bill. You can find it on um, on the Mondo Macabro site on Facebook. I hope they still have copies of it left. I don't know if it's sold out or not. But in any case, that one I would highly recommend. This one I would also recommend just because of its entertainment value. Very entertaining, very effective. And um, the, the one in uh, the one he made on Parsian Video, uh, you know, um, Tender Flesh, that's, that's okay, okay? It's, it's, not, it's not as interesting as, as this one or as uh, it kinda, he kind of reuses a lot of the same things, you know? And but, but this this one is worth seeing, and it's um, it's it's kind of very entertaining, very disturbing, as you said, and it's it's it's, it's got a lot of um, just Franco style uh, kind of photography, kind of sound effects, and the characters in it. Okay, and it's uh, it keeps your interest. I mean, you you sit there and you watch it, and you watch it right to the end, and it's never boring. It's 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 it really it really grabs you, you know, and pulls on to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it, it, You've really got to be a hardcore uh, horror fan to truly enjoy this. I mean, if you like things like Cannibal Holocaust, you'll like this film. Um, there are, like we said, there's a lot of, not a, just extreme gore, but extreme close-ups of female naked body parts, which I'm not yes. complaining about that. <laughs> right, neither, well, neither am I, yes, <laughs> definitely. But if, if you're into European cult cinema, you know, uh, European trash cinema, European cult cinema, and just Franco film. I would say, yeah, this is. It's not one of Franco's top ten by any means films, but it's, it's a just Franco film. It's a very entertaining one. And um, if I was going to recommend seeing ten European cannibal films, this would be one I would recommend. Okay. Um, and actually, I what I did like about it. Once again, it doesn't have any scenes of animals being killed. Okay. Right. Which, which some of the more popular, some more well-known ones do. That really bothers me, okay? And we, I'll be talking a lot more about that when we do um, our next show, which will hopefully be on Cannibal Holocaust and uh, Make Them Die Slowly or uh, Cannibal Ferox. Right, right. Awesome, awesome. Well, Robert, this was fun again. Uh, can you give the listeners your um, where to find you online? Yeah, you can find me on I'm in the Jess Franco State of Mind blog. That's www.robertmonell, R-O-B-E-R-T-M-O-N-E-L-L, dot blogspot, dot com. Now, you can also find me on uh, on Facebook. Okay, I sometimes review Facebook on my homepage. 
I review films on my homepage there, but I also have like a European cult, European trash cinema group. You know, uh, it's, it's it's like a kind of a, a secret group, or it's kind of like a group that doesn't get publicized. But if you want to, you can uh, you can contact me on Facebook, or um, and I'll um, you know send you a link, and you can join the group where we talk about a lot of European cult films, some well-known, some not so well-known. And uh, so that that's pretty much where I'm at online, you know, on this Facebook group. And I also have a website called Cinemadrome, okay? And uh, what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm, I'm changing that around a little bit, doing some work on it. But I'll give me, be giving some more information on that. We have really, really longer reviews, more in-depth reviews of a lot of uh, different European, sometimes... Uh, you know, kung fu films, Chinese films, Japanese films, spaghetti westerns, uh, all different types of films. Nice, nice. Awesome, Robert. And as always, it's a pleasure. And folks, you can find me on havenpodcasts.com. You'll find all my blogs and my shows there. And if you want to send us feedback, please send it to havenpodcasts at gmail.com and put the, the term, uh, the title Cult Movie Lounge in the subject so we'll know what you're talking about join us again next episode like the one you just heard check out the dorkening podcast network at the dorkening.com